How is everyone doing this morning? Do you ever come to church and you don't really want to be here? Has that ever happened to any of you? Probably not, right? You're all the saints. That never happens. This morning's sermon um, was one of the more difficult sermons for me to write. It's on joy. And it was difficult not because I don't accept what the Bible tells me, but because this week I had one of those weeks where I just couldn't find joy or happiness. It was one of those sermons where it was like, okay, God, I get it, but can we move on to something else? I remember spending all day Wednesday sitting at my desk just working on the sermon and reading through the texts. And I shared this with you because I was having a hard time accessing, I guess, that joy or that feeling, that sense of everything is going to be okay. And mind you, nothing's going wrong in my life. There's, like, there's no illness. There's, you know, I haven't, we haven't lost anyone in the family. I mean, everything is, by all accounts, going well. And yet there was something that was off. So I'm just sharing this with you because if, if you've ever experienced these moments of, I just don't feel like being here today, then this sermon is for you. So before we get started, I want to teach you a prayer. How many of you have a red Bible in front of you? Can you grab that? One of the things that I want to start moving away from, I mean, we'll probably always have the PowerPoint with the, with the scripture up there, but one of the things I want to invite you to do is to bring your Bibles. Probably for the next couple of months, we'll be using the New International Version because that's what's in the pew. So if you have a hard time seeing that, we invite you to bring your glasses. <sighs> Because they, I love picking up my Bible when I'm preaching or when I'm reading it. And what I find is when I read it from the screen, it's just not the same. So we're going to invite you to, if you have a new international version at home, bring that. If you don't have one, but you, you need glasses to read, bring those so we can use our red Bibles. Um, so that's starting next Sabbath. But Psalm 19, that's page 390. I want to teach you a prayer from this as we get our hearts and our minds ready. Psalm 19, page 390. Psalm 19, verse 14. David has just finished declaring how amazing and how wondrous and how wonderful God is. He talks about all of the reasons why God is the creator. And verse 14 says this. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we open our hearts to you now, as the preacher preaches words you've given him, may all that we do, may all that we feel, be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever had something you looked forward to and that's all you could think about? One of the things that I always look forward to are vacations, like the real vacations, not one day off here and there, but when you actually get to leave your house, you get on an airplane or you drive far, far away. How many of you love going on vacations? For the most part, yeah, like we look forward to it. And, and usually if you're like me, you try to buy your airline tickets far enough in advance because you get better deals that way on those, you know, those websites where you just get the better deals. And so it's usually two months ahead of time. You already know you're going to be gone. All you can do is you're thinking about it. You're thinking of all the things you're going to do. Some of you make a list of the things you want to do. Others of us, we just kind of show up and hope for the best. But, I mean, I look forward to that. 
But no matter how much I look forward to, whether it's the vacation or anything else we look forward to, the reality isn't always as good as what we were expecting. Isn't that true? Because our mind has a way of, of making everything way better than the reality itself. But we look forward to different kinds of things because we believe that this next thing, whether it's a vacation, whether it's a new job or a raise or a new relationship or whatever it is, we, we look forward to things because we believe that that thing is going to make our life better. But the reality is, is that no matter what it is that you're looking forward to, it will never have the lasting effect of joy on your life. So new things will make us feel happy. But if the new thing or that thing you're waiting for isn't God, it will be like a sandcastle. How amazing does that look? I could live in there, and I know it's just sand, but putting your hope in anything other than God is like putting your joy and hope in a sandcastle. It looks great, but when enough waves come, what does it become? A heap of sand. See, joy also doesn't come from looking at the lives of other people and hoping your life is like that. Right? For us to know where joy comes from, we have to know where it doesn't come from. And it doesn't come from looking at other people's lives, other people's faiths, other people's realities, and hoping that our life will be like theirs. Because what will end up happening is we'll begin to covet other people's lives. We'll begin to envy them, and we might even begin to hate on other people. So the question then is, where does joy come from? I would say that joy comes from the fundamental understanding of what the next verse is going to be. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Joy comes from the fundamental understanding that there is therefore no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. And to be in Christ Jesus means that you have accepted that Jesus has come into your life. To be in Christ Jesus is that you have accepted Christ into your life and you have said, I want you to be my Lord, my Savior, and I want you to be Lord of everything I do in my life. Now some of you are saying like, wait, what does that have to do with joy? Because life is about who your allegiance is to. All of life is about where you will spend eternity. Will you spend eternity with Jesus and God forever enjoying bliss? Or will you spend it apart from God? That's the big stuff of life. I know that bills feel like the big stuff of life. I know relationships feel like the big stuff of life. I know jobs and cars and everything else that fills our time feel like big things, especially if you lose some of those things. But even bigger and more foundational than all of the worries that you have is have you accepted Christ into your life? And if you have, the Bible tells us that there is no condemnation. God has judged you and he has found you to be saved. Not because you're good enough, but because of what Christ has done for you. So let me give you an illustration. Football season is starting. I know some of you, maybe most of you don't watch football but I think you'll understand this analogy. In the game of football, um, probably the most important position on the field, I, I would say, is the quarterback. So, just because they kind of run everything on the offense, on the defense, you know, it's different. No one, you know, everyone wants to play offense and score. But 
Last year's Super Bowl champions um, were the New England Patriots, right? Who, who did they beat? The Seattle Seahawks. Yay. <laughs> they beat my team the year before, so I have to use an analogy like this. Anyway, the backup quarterback. He is the guy that comes into the game if the starting quarterback gets injured. Now, if I remember correctly, the backup quarterback last year didn't play any plays. Is that right? Probably not, right? He didn't play any plays. He probably had very limited playing time during the season because their starting quarterback is, was like one of the best. Because he cheated, but he's one of the best. <laughs> Just saying. Where's Brett? Ah, oh, Brett's not here. That's Brett's team. But the backup quarterback doesn't really do that much throughout the season. He's the guy that goes in only if the quarterback is, gets hurt or if you're beating another team by so much that it's like, oh, send in the backup because even if he does bad, we're still going to win. Now, the backup quarterback, he's a Super Bowl champion. He didn't do that much. I know we can argue that he did stuff in practice and all that, but come on, when it comes to games is what matters, okay? He didn't play, but he still gets that Super Bowl ring. He still gets to say that he's a Super Bowl champion, a world champion, a part of the New England Patriots 2015 world champions. He gets to say, I am a part of that team. But if you're that guy, and I don't even know his name, just it goes to show you, right, the reduced role they're in. If you're that guy, you know you didn't play any, any plays in the Super Bowl. You didn't throw any touchdowns. You didn't run in any touchdowns, right? Your friends all know that you didn't do anything in that game. Your family knows you didn't do anything in that game. But guess what makes him different than you and I? He is still a Super Bowl champion winner because he was on the team that won. Romans 8 verse 1 says that if you have accepted Christ, you are on Jesus' team, on his, in his family. And if that's true, then you are not condemned. You can live with the assurance that the death of Christ on the cross has sealed your forgiveness. And you can begin to live as though this is the beginning of the kingdom of heaven. Again, this doesn't mean you can go and do whatever you want and be sinful and all that. If that's how you see it, then you haven't really understood verse 1. right? Because we know that if we are on this team, even if you're the backup quarterback, which we're all backup quarterbacks, we still want to do everything that we can to advance the cause of our team. We still want to live lives that give honor and glory to God, and we do it out of love. If you have ever been in a relationship and you have been forgiven... Right? Maybe, you did, maybe you did something really bad, maybe you did something not so bad, but it felt like it was really bad. If you have ever done something and you have been forgiven, it changes the way that you then see that other person. Because you realize they didn't have to forgive me, but they did, so I'm going to try to do everything I can to be the best husband or the best wife or the best boyfriend or the best girlfriend that they have because they have forgiven an indiscretion of mine. And it's the same thing with our relationship with Christ. We have been forgiven. And the only way that we can be thankful for that is to live our lives in such a way that will always give honor and glory to God. And we don't give honor and glory to God by continually being sinful and bad and horrible, but by allowing God to shape and change and mold us into more of his image. So the fundamental understanding of how you can access joy is to know that you are not condemned. But that's not enough. There's more. And we continue. Psalm 33 verse 20 says this, our soul waits for the Lord. 
God is our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in him. And the Hebrew word for glad can also be we take joy in him because we trust in his holy name. Now let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Joy and hope go hand in hand. Joy and hope and trust go hand in hand. The psalmist here, David, writes that his soul waits for the Lord. And he says he puts his trust in his holy name. Now, we have come to understand for the most part that in the Old Testament, when they talk about God's holy name, it's not just a label like we do, right? We have names that differentiate us from other people, right? But in the Old Testament, the names of people actually had meaning and they actually, right, they were descriptive of their character, so when David says that he trusts in God's holy name, I mean, you can go through and do a Google search, and after this, you know, today or right now, if you're tuning out, go and Google on the internet and ask, what are the different names of God? And you will find that there are so many different names of God. He is our comforter. He is our protector. He is our rescuer. He is the God of comfort. He is the Prince of, of, pin, prin, oh, prince of Peace. There's tons of names of God, and David says, my hope, my joy will be in the God who can do the impossible. Trusting in God goes hand in hand with getting the joy that comes from trusting in him. Because remember, no matter what you put your trust and hope in, and, and try to get your joy out of, right? Remember we started, whether it's a new job, whether it's money, whether it's relationships, whether it's a new home or things, those things will ultimately let you down. Now, I'm not saying every relationship is going to end, but if you put your hope in that other person, at some point, they'll let you down because they're human and they're not perfect. So we cannot get our joy from people or things or jobs, but our joy must come from God. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about where we get our joy, the biblical definition for where we get joy, right? The biblical understanding of joy. The Bible writers use the word as abiding John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, if there is a true vine, what does that mean? What is implied? If there is a true vine, then there must be what kind of vines? False vines. Again, if you're not connecting to God, everything else you connect to for joy or happiness will ultimately let you down. So here's another kind of another illustration that may fall flat, but I think you'll understand, all right? I thought about this one long and hard. <laughs> Most things in our life now need batteries, right? Need some sort of energy, right? Your cell phones, right? If, if you don't, if your cell phone dies, and they die super quickly now. Now, for your, for your phone to work, you have to plug it into what? The wall, right? Or whatever, an electrical outlet, if you want to be specific. But what happens if there's an electrical outage? Can you still get energy to your phone? Yes, Doug, I know, if you have like an external battery source. But eventually, <laughs> but everything, <laughs> he's like shaking, nodding his head, yeah. Right, but, but your phone, it all needs to be charged. Now, at some point, if there's an electrical outage, if you don't have money that month and you don't pay your bill, you can't plug it in at home, you're not going to get energy to your phone. However... And, and that's what it's like to get your joy from other, everything else in your life that's not God. However, to be attached to the vine, to abide in the vine, it's like having solar panels to fuel all of your electrical needs. Granted, I get it, right? If there's no sun, then you won't have electricity to your things. 
But the point is that the sun is self-sustaining. Right? God sustains the sun, but the way he made it, it's self-sustaining. It's so, so connecting to the vine is like having a solar panel of faith, where you are continually connected to the one person in all the universe who is self-sustaining, which is God. So if you go to anything else, everything else that isn't God will ultimately let you down, but only God will be sure to never let you down. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine, and if he is the true vine where you will get everything you need, then there must be false vines. And this is true in the Old Testament. Psalm 16, verse 4 says, Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. You can go after other things. Now, listen, I don't think that any of you here have decided, you know what, I'm done with the God of the Bible, so I'm going to go look for another God. If you, do, if you were doing that, you wouldn't be here this morning. But I don't think we do this intentionally. I think what happens in our lives, we allow ourselves to be distracted enough from God that we then begin to make other things in our lives our gods. You know what it is. In your life, you know exactly what it is that is an, another type of God in your life. I know what it is for me. And what happens is the devil is a deceiver and he is an accuser. And so he doesn't need us to stop believing in God. He just needs to take our attention long enough away for us to begin to not trust God and put our trust in other things. I think here in America, one of the things that becomes our gods is money. Right? Everything revolves around money. Every, actually, everything revolves around your credit score. <laughs> That's money. That's about how much money you have in your bank, how much you make, how, often, how on time all of your payments are. And what's funny is that we, think of, we don't think of it as a God, but I believe that it becomes our God because we want more and more and more of it. It might be something else for you. It might be a person in your life that has kind of become the thing that consumes your every thought. It might be a job. It might be success. But everything lets you down. Churches will let you down pastors will let you down. Everything will let you down unless it is God. Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is the metaphor. If Jesus is the vine, then you are the branches. And the only way that you will be able to live a life that flourishes is by being connected to the vine. Do you remember where Jesus says that he has come to give you life and have it more abundantly? This is what he's referring to here. He says, if you stay connected to me, if you abide in me, the, the, the Greek word is to remain or to linger, right? It's to dwell. It's, you know, we go to stores and it says no soliciting. You can, you can substitute that word and say, are you, are you just sticking around soliciting? Are you lingering? Are you loitering around Christ? And the question is, well, how do you do that? It's not just enough to be open to it with your heart and with your mind, but what is the one way that we can come and learn and abide in Christ daily? There's prayer. There's being, coming to the scriptures it takes commitment and it takes discipline. Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me bear much fruit because apart from me, 
you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's a pop quiz for five points. What are the fruits of the Spirit that Galatians talks about? Love, joy, peace, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many of you would like to do better in every one of those areas? How many of you are trying hard to do better in all of those areas? <laughs> so the hands went down. <laughs> How many of you understand that the only way you can do better in those areas is by the help of Christ? See, when you abide in the word, when you read scripture, I know, I'm starting to sound like an old school preacher, huh? Oh. When, you, when you read your Bible, the more you read it, God, the Holy Spirit, does something that it begins to change and to transform you. I'm not superstitious, right? I'm not mystical. But I can tell you that when you do that, things begin to change in your life. And if you don't believe me, try it this week. Instead of turning on the television when you get home or when you want to watch that next show or whatever it is, just stop for a moment and just open up the book of John and just start reading John. And if that's too kind of, because the first 11 verses are get kind of crazy because it's in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, substitute the word Jesus for, the, for word and it'll make more sense. But if that's too much for you, just go to Proverbs. Go to the book of Proverbs. You, everybody can handle Proverbs. Just be careful though because it's going to make you feel foolish. <laughs> You'll see what I mean if you read it. But the more time you spend in the word, the more time that you are abiding in God, the bigger the difference your life will make. And you will begin to experience the fullness of joy. Joy is not the feeling of happiness. Let me say that one more time. Joy is not the feeling of happiness because happiness is a feeling and our feelings change from moment to moment. But joy goes back to the understanding that there is no condemnation, that you have been saved, that God is working in your life. So as you abide, as you remain, as you linger in the presence of God, God will begin to make changes in your life and you won't even notice it. And the more that you abide, the more you will experience the fullness and the joy that comes with God. I think I have one more psalm. David says, You show me the path of life, and in your presence there is the fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You show me the path of life, and in your presence there is a fullness of joy. God isn't just present in church. Because if that were true, then that would be, that wouldn't, we, that I was going to say the word I shouldn't use in church. Um, God isn't just present in church. If, if this was the only place that God was present and joy is only there when God is present, then you would only get joy like two hours a week. That's not, kind of, that's not fair. The whole earth is the Lord's. That's what the Bible tells us. God is present everywhere that you are. So the next time you're feeling down or frustrated or discouraged, remember that joy is available to you because God is present wherever you are. The fullness of God's joy is given to you, and it's given to you in the fact that God has extended the invitation for you to accept his call. God has invited you 
to have faith in the fact that at the cross he has forgiven you and now you can live with the assurance and the seal that you will spend all the eternity with God. First of all, that's the greatest joy. Everything else is like, ah, eh, we, can, we, we can deal with it. But in the presence of God, there is a fullness of joy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that A, you have forgiven us that you have allowed us to be a part of your team and your family. And so now, Father, we ask that you would open our eyes and our understanding to see that the fullness of joy comes with you wherever you are. And so we pray that you would teach us to open our souls and our hearts to receive this joy so that even when we're having one of those bad days, we can be reminded that the things that matter, the eternal things, have already been solved in the person of Jesus. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.